Welcome to the 1505 Club. Today's conversation is going to be a bit of a lighthearted nature, but it should be a lot of fun with some really great insights as well. My guest today is Dr. Tom Potisk. Dr. Potisk has spent so much time in the Gonstead Clinic that he probably knows more about the secrets of that clinic than anybody else. Today he's going to take us on an audio tour of the clinic, but we're also going to discuss many of the lessons that we can learn from the clinic. Dr. Potisk is very passionate about the clinic, and I'm sure that will be abundantly evident to you today. So without any further ado, Dr. Tom Potisk. Hello, Dr. Potus. Thank you for joining us today. Hello there. I'm very happy to be here, and I hope I can be of some help to people that are listening. Oh, I'm sure you can. Uh, could you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got into chiropractic, and more specifically, how you got into Gonstead Chiropractic? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I've got a story that I think is somewhat familiar because I've run into others with a similar story like I have. Uh, I was studying to be a medical doctor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, I was in the pre-med program and aiming to become a medical doctor, um, kind of felt uncomfortable with it. Uh, I think I was doing it more because my buddies were doing it and I didn't know any other direction to go in. I liked science and I liked anatomy and I liked biology and uh, just seemed like a, a good direction to go in, at least at the point uh, that I was at. And uh, I always felt uncomfortable though, uh, something about the, the overall idea of uh, illness and diagnosis and medication and and uh, all kinds of side effects and all kinds of the typical problems associated with medicine. You know, not, not to uh, dismiss the fact that they are lifesavers and they can give people lots of relief and they're important. We need them. And I have all the respect in the world for anybody involved in any kind of medical work. Uh, God bless you and the work that you do. But I just knew there had to be something more, uh, especially for me. So one day I was studying organic chemistry at my kitchen table. And uh, that's a bear of a subject for most of us. I was struggling with it. I didn't enjoy it. I knew I had to do it to accomplish my goal. And uh, as I was sitting there studying organic chemistry with that big, thick organic chemistry book in the kitchen, the television was on in the living room. And it was on loud enough for me to hear what was going on. And what I heard was the sound of a clock, tick, 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 tick. And then I heard Morley Safer, one of the hosts of that popular news program called 60 Minutes, you said, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you tired of going to doctors and just getting pills and just relief and not a, a, a source of solution for your illness? Well, there's a new doctor on the block. These are chiropractors. And that's what our show is about tonight. So that caught my attention. I closed that big organic chemistry book and I went and sat that down in the living room and watched that 60 minutes TV program about chiropractic. It was the first time it was really featured. Uh, in depth at the time on, on national television. And by the end of that show, I knew that that's what I was supposed to be. That was my calling to become a chiropractor. And to be honest with you, that show was quite negative about chiropractic. They had medical doctors in there talking about how we're all a bunch of quacks. Uh, they, they had other uh, professionals on there saying that, you know, the science is no good, but they presented the principle and they made it very clear and they also interviewed patients that had tremendous results. And that's what got me, that principle, the philosophy, and the results that people were getting. And I just knew that's what I had to pursue. I had to at least look into it more. So the very next day, I went to the college library, and I looked up chiropractic. And unfortunately, there were only four books there, and three of them were negative. At the time, there was a lot of negativity about chiropractic because of the AMA antitrust suit that was still ongoing at the time. And uh, I had to dig really hard to get the truth. So uh, I read the one good book that was there and kind of peeked through the other negative books. And I went to visit a chiropractor and I went to visit the chiropractic school, Palmer, where I graduated from. And off I went. I became a chiropractor from that program, 60 Minutes. And I've met many, many chiropractors that have said that same thing, that that negative program uh, opened up their eyes to the truth and they went on to become a chiropractor. So sometimes it works that way. I, I think B.J. Palmer said something like that. Say whatever you want about me. Just make sure you spell my name right so people can find me. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, so one of the reasons I asked you to come on is because I know that you have lots of stories about the clinic. I first met you when I found out that you were the president of the Gonset Foundation and you were taking care of the clinic, but you weren't just taking care of the clinic. You've actually been doing a lot of things, or you were doing a lot of things at least, to um, improve the clinic. And one of those things 
was this sort of museum experience that you've created down in the basement hallway. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, about that, um, what you created down there for people who haven't been there, but then also in the process of creating that, did you discover any stories that you think are worth sharing? Boy, it's been a blast being involved at the Gonstead Clinic. You know, nowadays it's owned by a, a nonprofit organization called the, Gons, the, the C.S. Gonstead Chiropractic Foundation. It's, a, it's an official uh, 5013C with the IRS, so it's a complete nonprofit organization. Any donations, for example, are 100% tax deductible. And uh, uh, that's the, uh, the ownership in the last few years. Uh, I think maybe six to eight years now it's been under that nonprofit uh, organization. And it's a wonderful thing because it's the best way to preserve this place. And uh, I've always said it's so important to preserve this. You know, there's several good reasons. Uh, for one thing, we've lost a lot of important chiropractic landmarks. Uh, we lost the Ryan building where uh, Dr. D.D. Palmer first worked. We've lost a um, little bit of heaven, which was a, an important place on the Palmer campus mm -hmm. in Davenport, Iowa, the Palmer chiropractic campus. Uh, we've lost uh, uh, Spears Chiropractic Hospital, which was an enormous right. healthcare institution in Colorado uh, that featured chiropractic as uh, part of their uh, treatment of people and, and care for people. That's gone. All we have from these things are a few bricks, you know, in museums and maybe on some sidewalks for fundraisers. Uh, but the Gonstead Clinic still stands, and it certainly is important uh, in, in a number of measures. It's the largest and probably most successful chiropractic practice ever on the history of the planet. And uh, those of us who are involved there are aiming to keep it preserved for several reasons, you know, not only because of its importance like that, we don't want to lose it because we've lost so many, but also it stands as uh, kind of the rock of Gibraltar, I like to say, for the specific detection and adjustment of the vertebral subluxation. That's mainly what goes on there. That's what always has, goes on, has gone on there. And that's what we intend to keep it focused on at all times, because we know the importance of that. And I'm sure you've talked about it in your other part, podcast. We can touch upon it a little bit today. But that's how Gonstead got his excellent results that, uh, that caused people to come from all over the planet to his clinic, even back in the decades when travel was much more difficult than it is now. Um, and uh, that the results that he got is what drove his practice and the, what, the reason he got his results is because he focused on that, the specific detection and correction of the vertebral subluxation. He figured out how to do that better than anybody else, and he left such a legacy that's, that he not only uh, left the, the, the building kind of like a monument, but he left the method for us, you know, so that we can all learn from that and apply it, and many still do around the country. I did in my practice and had a lot of success that way, and uh, students can still come there and learn that. Gonstead Method, it's still the best place to learn it. There's seminars throughout the year. Uh, you can find those on the uh, gonstead.com website. So uh, I encourage everybody to come and visit the Gonstead Clinic. Uh, chiropractors, students especially, at some point in their career, they need to make that pilgrimage to come and see the place. It's such a special place. You feel the special energy as soon as you walk in the door. Part of it is the architecture. You know, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright-inspired building uh, with a lot of unique features. Uh, that are just uh, jaw-dropping uh, in various locations, uh, but also just because Gonstead himself was there. This was the chiropractor. I always like to say D.D. was the uh, discoverer, B.J. was the developer, uh, Dave Palmer was the educator. He kind of uh, modernized the education, but Gonstead was the chiropractor. I mean, he's the one who really pulled it all together, applied everything, refined it, uh, made it more specific and got the results that everybody's been looking for over all those decades and had an extremely successful practice simply because of the results that he got. So yes, by all means, everybody should come. Uh, even lay people are welcome to come to the clinic. Uh, uh, if, they're, if they're not already a Gonstead chiropractic patient somewhere else, you know, they can start there. We still have patients that come from around the world for care there. Uh, they're welcome to come. There's a place that you can stay nearby if you need to stay a couple of days. Uh, but also, as you mentioned, we have this newest thing now in the basement. I call it uh, the Gonstead Hall of History. Have you seen it, Dave? Oh, yeah. I, I, I was at a seminar and I was almost late to class because once I started reading the different things, I couldn't stop. It was like, it was, it was, it's amazing. It's, it's such a, it's, it reminds me of a great museum experience 
where you see these pictures and you see these articles, but they take you on a walk through a story and you see it evolve. It's, it's, you did a great job. It's excellent. Thank you. Yeah, we get a lot of compliments on that. And I'll tell you how that got started. Uh, that used to be just a blank hallway, you know, with bare walls and, and some <laughs> brick walls and cold. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, um, when this newest Gonstead book came out called Gonstead the Adjuster by Matthew Amen, which I highly recommend, that also is available from uh, Gonstead.com or the GCC, GCCS Gonstead website. Uh, all the money collected from sales of that book, by the way, go 100% to chiropractic research, which is a wonderful thing. Yes. Matthew Amon, the author, essentially donated this book to the Gonstead Method. Uh, so anybody interested in Gonstead needs to get that book. It's it's the most detailed book that's out about Gonstead right now. And yes. there's several books about Gonstead. I think there's five last time I counted. But anyway, Matthew Amon wrote this book. He published it, donated it to the to the uh, Gonstead world. And... Uh, in his process of writing this book, he dug as deep as he possibly could. It's just uh, incredible. He talked to everybody, interviewed, uh, I think he said about 150 people, patients, former staff members, doctors, uh, the architect uh, who, who built the building. I mean, he dug as deep as he could to get all the details. And as he did that, he gathered a lot of materials, old pictures, old articles, old books, magazines, uh, even some um physical leftovers from the clinic. For example, we have an extra rock from the uh, large uh, waterfall that's in the waiting room. I don't know how we found that. Uh, he found the, the Gonstead Cadillac. We call it the Elvis Cadillac. We put that back in the garage. But he gave right. me, after he published this book, he gave me several boxes of memorabilia that he collected. Another wonderful donation to the foundation. So I sifted through that, all these amazing things that were there, even some of his original business cards going way back to the 30s that nobody else has anymore. Uh, so I decided to put those on display and I thought the best places in that hallway down there, it was perfect to put up a number of different displays. And I think right now I've got uh, 14 different big displays on the wall with all these various things that I was able to put together and compile. Uh, we just added two more now because one side of the hallway is all about Gonstead. And I think there's at least 12 big displays there uh, and the other side of the hall is going to be about people who were supportive and influential in the development of the method and the preservation of the method. One of them is Larry Troxell. There's a display about him with all kinds of memorabilia. And the other one is Phyllis Markham, who was his main uh, x-ray technician. She took the x-rays and analyzed the x-rays for, I think, close to 50 years, maybe even more. I, I don't know the exact number. And she's an incredible part of the Gonstead legacy. So we have a display up about her on the other side of the hallway, and there's more to come. So that's a must-see. The newest must-see, I think, in the chiropractic profession is to take a walk down the Gonstead Hall of History. And it, and it keeps developing. It's getting better all the time. Yeah, that's so great that you did that because um, I recently got some videos of Phyllis Markham lecturing from um, Josh Lawler. And um, I, it was, I, couldn't, I kept stopping it to take notes. I was just blown away by her knowledge of what, how she interprets an x-ray and what she knew, but so many years of working side by side with Gonstead and probably, probably on a daily basis talking with him more than anyone else to really understand his thinking process. What she contributed was, was tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. We were lucky to have her and she was always so open to many of us with sharing her knowledge and experience. We really missed her, uh, but she did leave contributions, like you said, with some videos and some other information. So we're happy to have that as, as part of the legacy also. There's been a number of people who've been, been so influential, you know. Uh, they're kind of detailed in that Gonstead, the Adjuster book, if you want to read more about them. And as you read about these people, you can kind of see some areas where, uh, yeah, Gonstead did a lot of things right. He had a tremendous practice, a very successful, you know, a multimillionaire by the time he passed away, uh, and, and we're talking about 1978 when he passed away, those, that's worth a lot more now than it, than it was then. So uh, I think it's easy to say he was the most successful chiropractor ever. And uh, besides the good things that he did and the right things that he did, you kind of pick up as you study his life and his legacy and his practice, a couple of mistakes that he made also. Uh, so you can learn things to apply to your practice, both good and things to avoid by studying Gonstead and his legacy that are very still applicable today. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, very current. You know, everybody's in a panic because of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic. Some chiropractic offices have had to close. 
Uh, I talk to doctors around the country because I do some consulting and coaching, and a lot of them tell me they're down 50%. I just talked to a doctor the other day that's down 80%, you know, just devastating to a practice. But there's some things you can observe from Gonstead. One main thing, I think, that uh, is a lesson for all of us. You know, you want to know what that is? What is it? Well, when you look at Gonstead's uh, time frame of when he practiced, you know, he graduated from Palmer in 1923, and then mm-hmm. he um, uh, passed away in 1978. And you can say pretty much that he practiced that whole time, you know, 50 plus years. Although in the last couple of years, he really was winding it down. He was just seeing a few patients in his house, but he was still practicing. So you can say he practiced that whole time. And if you think about it, all of those decades that he practiced were some of the darkest decades in chiropractic history, mainly because that was the time when the AMA was going full bore with their anti-chiropractic campaign, their antitrust action on chiropractic. They essentially wanted to eliminate the chiropractic profession. This we know from a fact, for a fact, because we have the documents on AMA stationery that outlined the plan to do so. And they were working very hard to destroy chiropractic because it was their main competitor. They even admitted that. So they did everything possible to discredit us. They put out news releases that were bad about us. Uh, they put out false research. They did some research to find out if chiropractic was working, and it, it showed that it did work to help people. And they hid those studies, and they were done right in hospitals. They did all kinds of awful things. They sent letters to every uh, high school guidance counselor uh, talking about how bad it is to be a chiropractor and don't bother referring any students to chiropractic schools because they're all a bunch of quacks. You know, things like that. Reader's Digest. Um, I could just go on and on. You, you can read up on that some more. That in itself is a fascinating story. Well, in 1985, of course, the chiropractors won after a, an 11-year uh, lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court. The chiropractors won and the AMA had to stop that. But they were running full bore all that, all those decades that Gonstead practiced. And uh, chiropractors suffered because of that tremendously. You can talk to old timers that'll tell you that um, they were not allowed to associate with chiropractors if they wanted to refer patients sometimes. Uh, they either couldn't or the MD would kind of steal the patient. They would say, yeah, you're welcome to come me, but you got to stop going to that quack. You know, just endless, awful stories like that that compromised the care that people needed shamefully on them. So um, if you think about it, what did Gonstead do during those times of crisis? And it was tough going. In fact, I have to add one more thing. You know, I graduated in 1984 and I started practicing in 1985. I caught the tail end of that AMA antitrust action. Uh, For example, after I opened up my practice, I wanted to join a service club in my community to get more involved and meet people and and help the community. So the largest one in my area was the Lions Club. That's a popular service club that's uh, international. They help, they raise money and they help essentially blind people and deaf people mainly. They do other actions too. But as soon as I joined that club, the two medical doctors in that club immediately quit saying that we will not be associated with a chiropractor. And this was in 1985. Also, uh, I, I used to write articles for my local newspaper and boy, was it hard to get those published in there. Yet I'd see all kinds of uh, articles published by local medical doctors. Um, every day I'd open up my paper, the Milwaukee Journal, and I'd see uh, anti-chiropractic information in there, you know, talking about how chiropractors are quacks and how we need to be kept out of Medicare and, and uh, restricted in, a, in, in the way that we're treating patients. And that, that went on for all those decades, when you really look into that antitrust case, it was an awful time for chiropractors and chiropractors suffered. But Gonstead thrived during that time. He thrived during those dark days of chiropractic. And the reason is he focused once again on the quality of service that he was providing to the patients. Uh, He knew about what was going on, but he turned his back to that and focused on how can I get my patients better than anybody else is getting and faster than anybody else is getting. And he did it by being more specific with the detection and adjusting of the vertebral subluxation. So there's a lesson for all of you chiropractors that are in a panic, and I know many of you are uh, suffering and maybe even out of, out of practice for a little while until the coast clears and you can open up again, is to polish your skills. This is a lesson from Gonstead. Polish your skills. You can't ever go wrong learning how to become a better chiropractor, how to make a better adjustment, how to find the subluxation more accurately and analyze it, uh, how to use the tables more precisely. Um, And nowadays that's so easy, you know, there's so many good books out 
And uh, normally I'd say go to some seminars, but you can't right now. Those are closed too for the time being. But there's all those videos, all those videos now on YouTube. And some of them are by Gonstead himself that you can watch and tremendous amounts of things. I've posted a number of highlights of the Gonstead videos that I think are some of the most important and remarkable parts of Gonstead's teaching. I've got those on the Facebook group called Gonstead Guardians. Uh, so if you go to Facebook and go to Gonstead Guardians, you'll see there's a page and a group. On both of those, you'll find many snippets of Gonstead videos that I posted with some incredible information that can help any chiropractor, even if you don't do Gonstead. Uh, many things about the Gonstead method chiropractors can apply to their own practice and, and get better results. Gonstead said that our future will be our results, and that holds true today. So docs out there who are suffering, I say don't waste any time. You know, spend your free time working on improving yourself and specifically on being able to get better results for your patients. So there's a, a lesson right from Gonstead's legacy for all of us in this current uh, fiasco or, or crisis that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned that some of Gonstead's mistakes, um, and I, from what I recall, maybe it's true or not, but from what I recall, he said that one of his biggest mistakes is once he realized how expensive it was to maintain the giant clinic, he wished that maybe instead of building such a big clinic, he would have built multiple clinics and kept them a little smaller just for overhead reasons. But um, perhaps in addition to that, uh, what other mistakes um, do you think we can learn from the from the clinic? Um, particularly in the area of how to build our practices. Cause like we, like I mentioned to you earlier, some people get out of school thinking I'm going to be, I'm going to be like Gonstead and you probably shouldn't build the Gonstead clinic right out of school. It's probably a bad idea. So what, what else can we learn about the building? Yes. Uh, there's, there's several lessons that you can learn that you can apply where it appears that Gonstead made a mistake and, and chiropractors can do better. I, I think if Gonstead hadn't made some of these mistakes, the, the clinic and the legacy, I think, could have been much, much bigger, two to three times bigger than it is right now, even. Uh, for example, uh, and you can reference these things easily in that book called Gonstead, the Adjuster. Uh, when I was a Troxel intern, and by the way, that's how I got involved in the Gonstead method. I, be, I became a Troxel intern, which I highly recommend to any student or future student. If you're going to Palmer, get on over to that Gonstead uh, excuse me, to that Troxel intern program. It's still going strong. Now uh, a doctor named Josh Lawler is running it and doing a tremendous job. And he has it now moved over to his clinic in LeClaire, Iowa, which is just about 20 minutes north of Davenport, Iowa, up Highway 61. Uh, so when I was a Troxel intern, Troxel was still there. And he had made a comment one time. Uh, I forgot why he said this, but he said, Gonstead was a tremendous practitioner, but a terrible administrator. And I never forgot that. I didn't understand it at the time. But as I dug into this more, I see what he meant. Gonstead was a terrible administrator. He really was. And you can read all about that once again in the Gonstead Adjuster. Uh, it seems to be mainly uh, his, his management of staff. You know, he needed a lot of staff to run that place. Uh, he had a lot of gals at the front desk. Uh, he had people helping him with the x-rays. Uh, he had associates and he had interns and a whole bunch of other people. I don't know how many patients, how many staff he had over there. I, I think a dozen to two dozen, probably at the peak of the clinic at any given time during those decades. That was probably in the 60s and 70s. And he was just terrible at managing that. Um, a Dr. Cheel, for example, was a guy who came because he heard about the results Gonstead was getting over there. And he came to, to help in the clinic in, in some way. And he seemed to have a lot of skill with research. He had a research background, Dr. Cheel, C-H-I-E-L, I believe. And uh, he proposed to Gonstead that, you know, hey, uh, it's obvious that you need to document some of what's going on here, you know, case studies and some research studies, maybe even some randomized clinical trials could be done here. Uh, Cheel knew how to do that, and he knew how to write them, and he knew how to get them into uh, research journals uh, at the time. So he proposed that to Gonstead. And he wrote out a whole plan and he asked for a salary and Gonstead said no. And that's just devastating, I think, because just think if we could have got stuff like that published. I mean, there were a few things published, but not very good and not very many. But Chiel would have taken it to a whole nother level. You know, at the time yeah. Gonstead practicing there, it was the equivalent of the, the Mayo Clinic of chiropractic. Uh, people were coming from all over the world to the Gonstead Clinic, just like they were to the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic survived to this day and has grown and and, and probably will continue to do so mainly because of the research that they did. 
the, the Gonstead method was lacking that. It's getting better now. You know, we've got a full-time or, or at least a part-time uh, researcher to be the GCSS and the GCSS is focused on it, thank goodness, and they're doing a great job. But we need a whole lot more. And way back then, I think it was in the early 70s that this Dr. Cheel came along. Uh, he made that proposal and it looks like he could have did it, done it. We looked at some of the things he wrote and it looks like he would have been excellent at that. But no, Gonstead said no. And unfortunately, it comes down to the fact that he was uh, kind of cheap with his money. He was stingy. And he just said flat out he, he didn't want to pay that, and even though it looked like a reasonable salary for the work that he was going to do. So, so there's a lesson, you know. Uh, you you got to be careful with the management of your clinic. There, there's times to spend money, and there's times not to spend money. But in Gonstead's case there, I, I really think he blew it in that instance. And there's a number of instances with the staff also. We've got letters from the staff, for example, where they wrote to Gonstead and essentially had to beg for a raise. They had to beg. And it's a shame because the guy was raking in millions, you know, and he was he was tight with uh, with paying his people and he had a lot of turnover, unfortunately. There's a few people that stuck around there a lot, but uh, for every person that stuck around, there was about 10 to 15 that left for being overworked and underpaid. It's it's really sad. And those are all documented in the Gonstead Adjuster book. Uh, he needed a full-time manager there at his office is what he did for all his staff. He was trying to do it by himself and still see the patients. And it just rarely works if you got a busy place like that. And if you've got staff, you need a full-time staff manager, essentially, and a good one to handle all that. And you have to pay them well. So if you're going to go big and have a lot of staff and you think you're going to manage them and still have a, a busy practice, I think you're going to have a conflict. It seems like the two, uh, you know, will just wear a doctor out. Uh, we've seen a few that have done it, but boy, they're beat by the time they got done practicing. So uh, there's some lessons that I think Gonset could have done much better with. Uh, and it's sad that he didn't. We're glad we got what we what we have from him, but it's it's so sad because you really see how it could have been much much bigger. Like I said, two or three times bigger uh, than it is right now. And I think the clinic would have been going stronger than it is right now if he'd have made those few moves uh, in a better fashion. Yeah, I think that's a really good a really good point. Um, I, I've often thought it's a huge challenge for doctors. Obviously, when you get started. You expect to be small, you're going to be small, but growing is more challenging than it might seem. And I've often said it's very difficult to be a 100% doctor and a 100% office manager at the same time or business owner. And every decision needs to be made. And sometimes the doctor side of you doesn't agree with the business side of you. So what do you do in those situations? How do you make those determinations? And uh, to give Gonstead credit, he was going where nobody had gone before. But you're right, his um, his cheapness probably combined with a little bit of his... Um, um, uh, I don't even know what the word is. Uh, he was kind of protective. Like he was a little paranoid. Um, he definitely didn't want anybody stealing his stuff. And so that created this guard that kept him from probably hiring. It may have kept away some bad people who might've messed things up, but it also kept away some good people that could have made things a lot better. And that's just a hard place to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we also have to mention here, not to make Gonsa look like a bad guy because he was generous in many other ways. We have that he gave away a lot of care to the needy. Uh, uh, patients would sometimes come basically broke after trying everything else, you know, spending their money in the yeah. realm. And uh, somehow they've made it to the Gonstead Clinic and uh, somehow they would relate that to the staff or to Gonstead and Gonstead would take care of them at no charge, sometimes give them money out of his own pocket for housing and for food until they could get going again. One of the uh, star... Uh, People uh, uh, concerning that uh, was uh, Mr. Richelieu. Mr. Richelieu, I think, mm -hmm. California, and he hurt his back severely over there and um, tried everything again. Uh, I think he might have even had surgery once or twice uh, and was just not able to function. But somehow he made it into his uh, station wagon uh, and brought a suitcase and drove all the way from California to Wisconsin in agony, uh, I think by himself. Uh, he tells a story about uh, he spent his last dollar on the last tank of gas and he kind of coasted into the parking lot on fumes. I mean, that's how much, how, how, how destitute he was to get to the clinic. And uh, he got in there and, and Gonstead helped him. In fact, Gonstead put him to work. Uh, he found out that uh, Mr. Richelieu was good at playing the banjo. So uh, part of the uh, payment for his care, besides Gonstead giving him free care and some money for room and lodging, was to play the banjo at the Caracol Inn, which is the neighboring uh, hotel that Gonstead made and, and restaurant. And Dr. Richelieu played 
the band there for a long time. And then uh, Gonstead found out that Mr. Richelieu had some furniture making experience. So he started making Gonstead equipment, which I thought was still some of the best to this day. That's what I used in my practice. And I think that's still being made in Wisconsin, the Richelieu Gonstead equipment. Uh, Dr. Mr. Richelieu passed away and somebody else took it over now. But that's still an excellent source for Gonstead equipment, the knee chest, the high-low, or excuse me, the, uh, the knee chest, the pelvic bench, and the cervical chair are still made by Richelieu Company in Wisconsin. So uh, Gonstead was generous in many ways. You know, he gave money also to the church in town uh, for a big addition. Uh, he tried to contribute money for a swimming pool in town, which is a big fiasco. Uh, a lot of people in town didn't like him, so they rejected his offer, and the pool was never built, but he was ready to pay for that. Um, lots of other community things that he did. Uh, and when you talk to his relatives, too, you, you hear that he was generous and kind to his family, uh, financially especially. So a lot of good things about Gonstead. It just seems like with the staff and uh, people that came to him that wanted to help, he was kind of stingy that way. And I think at one point he, he says that he doesn't trust people, that a couple of people ripped him off, which we also know is true. A lot of businessmen would come to him and they'd say, you know, hey, I got this deal, this business deal that looks really attractive. Do you want to invest? One of them was an apple orchard uh, nearby. Another one was a series of gas stations out near Madison, Wisconsin. And one of the biggest ones, uh, almost laughable because it's such a tremendous story, is the uh, hotel and convention center in the Cayman Islands of the Caribbean. That's a tremendous right. story that just fell apart. All those businesses fell apart. He lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, a couple of people that were close to Gonstead told me that they thought he lost more money on those things than he ended up making in his practice. So just, just think about that. So he was also a pretty bad businessman as far as investing his money. Yeah, he had a great vision. And if it could have been pulled off, it would have been awesome. But that is one of those areas where he probably needed to bring some other people in to help manage how that actually happened. Because you're right, I, I, can, I, I shudder to think at how much money was wasted on the Grand Cayman Island thing, only to end up with nothing to show for it. Uh, it's really sad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can relate a little bit in my own practice. I had a very successful multi-chiropractor family practice uh, for 24 years uh, here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, I made sure I got a, a good quality office manager. And uh, I paid her very well, and she stuck with me all those years. In fact, she stayed with that practice even after I sold it. She was very dedicated, a real lover of chiropractic, and she recognized the importance of the Gonstead method. And she handled much of what I either didn't want to or couldn't, you know, with staff management. And that was hiring, uh, reviews, uh, training, and even firing. So I was grateful for that. Another thing I always did is I always had a coach and a consultant right from the beginning. Uh, I, I, I surveyed doctors that I knew were successful and talked to them. And I said, you know, who's helping you? And I found out who that was, and I hired them. I had a group called Petty Michael and Associates uh, in, uh, centered here in Wisconsin, and they're not chiropractors. They're just business managers that focus on chiropractors. And uh, they helped me through that whole career, and uh, that was a tremendous benefit. That was well worth the money. Uh, so I encourage doctors, if you want to have a, a busy practice, especially with multi-staff and multi-associates, you got to get help with that stuff. They, there's professionals that know how to run that stuff and keep it, uh, humming, you know, better than you can ever figure out yourself and, 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 and you don't have the time or energy to put into that. You've got to focus it on your patients. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So getting back to the clinic a little bit, one of the things about the clinic that I think is amazing is it's got some, um, some rooms that most chiropractors don't have in their office. Um, there's two in particular I'm thinking of, but the first one is the blood lab. Uh, when I first went to the clinic back as a student 20 years ago and found out there was a blood lab, I was like, I want to know more about this. And from what I understand, Gonsett said the blood lab was a lot of how he figured out the whole sympathetic parasympathetic thing and was way ahead of his time on that was because he was using the blood lab to figure out the, what the blood changes were from his adjustments. Um, do you have any stories about the blood lab, where that came from, where, where, what happened to it, why it's never used? Yeah, the lab is an interesting scenario, and there's still lots of unanswered questions about that. I get some conflicting answers when I ask. Um, one of the things I think that's interesting related to that is when you look back at Gonstead's second clinic, you know, his first one was uh, a three-room office above the bank building in downtown Montboro. Then he built a freestanding clinic, which in itself was extraordinary for its time, 1939, uh, very modern. Uh, with, with all Does it still stand? 
No, that's torn down now too. Okay. All we have is pictures and some diagrams. But in that clinic in 1939, for example, he was testing the heart on everybody with, a, with an electrocardiogram. Uh, you can see that in the brochures of the clinic, which are now on display in that uh, Gonstead uh, Hall of History. You can also see it in the Gonstead uh, Adjuster book. Uh, but he, you know, he was he was dabbling with things. Uh, his his practice and what he taught. I think there was more to it uh, than than what uh, was revealed, especially in the seminars when he was teaching. You know, he was doing the cardiac testing in that clinic, and then when he moved to this current big clinic that we have now in 1964, he dropped that. But then he was doing lab work and quite extensively, from what I understand. They were taking blood on most of the patients. In fact, I just watched one of the Gonstead videos recently where Gonstead himself says that we are taking cholesterol testing on every single patient that comes in. And that was in the 1970s, late 70s. That's extraordinary. And he said he was seeing good results with changes in that from his adjusting. So um, other times I talk to doctors and they say, no, I never saw any of that. Uh, maybe they just weren't there or, or on that side of the clinic where it was being done or something. I don't know, but it, there's a lot of mystery about that. But we do know that Gonstead said that, and we do know that it's there and that he was testing things. Um, and I think one of the reasons that may have been left out in the training is because there's so much to just the training of the specific detection and adjusting of the subluxation alone that uh, there isn't much time to get into anything else. You know, just the mastery of that alone is a, a lifetime experience for most of us. Uh, but the lab is an interesting thing. It's there. We're kind of leaving it intact. It's not being used for much right now. Uh, we've cleaned it up a bit, but uh, what was left in there, we've kind of just left on display. I think there's a couple of tools there that I don't know much about because I never did much lab work, but uh, that's definitely a, a stop in the clinic that everybody should make. One of my favorite rooms over there, I call it the Gonstead Vault. Do you know about that? No. <laughs> a lot of people don't know about that. I'm finding I don't know a lot. I didn't even know there was a garage until recently oh. when they said, hey, are you going to help us with this thing in the garage? And I was like, there's a garage. So that's new to me too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot to see there. And uh, one of the things I enjoy showing is what I call the Gonstead Vault. Uh, now, some people get excited about that and they say, well, you know, let's crack that sucker open because you're <laughs> <laughs> but now it was opened and cleaned out years ago. And uh, if you're ever over at the clinic, um, as you're walking in the main entrance and going up to the front desk, on the left side of that massive front desk, there's a room. It's about eight by 10, I think. And in that room, there's a concrete wall and there's a slot at the top of that concrete wall. And that's essentially Gonstead's vault. You see, he was collecting so much cash. It was just incredible. You know, everybody was worried that somebody was going to rob the place, you know, that there was going to be armed robbers that would come in there and hold it up. So the staff would collect the cash regularly throughout the day and they drop it in that slot and it would fall down into that big concrete uh, container essentially. And on the opposite wall in the business office, which is the next room, Gonstead's picture is hanging on the wall and that's on a hinge and you swing that open. And then there's a combination there that you have to know the combination and you open up this big iron door and then you can reach in and get that cash. So that's, that's what I call Gonstead's vault. And even more amazing than that is if you go in that vault room, there's a window. And if you look outside the window and you look down, there's a moat, there's an actual moat. And we see that on the blueprints of the original building when it was built, we've still got those. And that was built specifically so that nobody could come with a car or a truck and ram that concrete wall and bust that vault open to take the cab. Mm. You know, the car would fall into the moat. So <laughs> that when you're there, because the amount of cash that this guy was collecting was just extraordinary. Uh, there's stories from the staff that they were worried that Gonstead himself was going to get robbed on the way out of the clinic because oftentimes he'd open up that vault, you know, on his side of the business office and he'd stuff his pockets full of all this cash. They were bulging. And he'd waddle out to his car and drive home at two or three o'clock in the morning. And that's one of the reasons that the sheriff's deputy was often parked in the parking lot when Gonstead was leaving. We've got reports of that to kind of keep an eye on him till he got home and emptied out his pockets. <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I know that they used to always say that he could tell how good of a day he had because he kept the money rolled up in a roll in his pocket and he knew how good a day was or how big his pockets were. Yes, he did say that. He did say that. <laughs> and over at his house, too. Boy, I hope you and everybody else can someday visit his home. Oh, the house is amazing. Yeah, it's about a mile, I think, uh, as the crow flies from the clinic 
it's uh, owned now by an architect who restored it because it burned down when Elvira announced that his wife was living there. She passed away in that fire. And he got the original blueprints and he bought the, the ruins essentially and rebuilt it. Mm. The, the original specs as close as he can with some changes, but you can still see the glory of his home, which I think is even more impressive than his clinic. But anyway, uh, in visiting his home many times and talking to the architect, which I've kind of become friends with, um, the architect said that in the rebuilding of the home, he found at least five safes also that were hidden in the stonework. And of course, those were all cleared out also. There was nothing in there. But that's where Gunstead was stashing the cash at his home. He had all these hidden uh, cubby holes <laughs> under under combination where he was holding all that cash. So it's just, just amazing, you know, to think about that legacy and how different that is for most of us today. Well, yeah, the uh, you also see his personality in it. Um, the house is amazing, but one of the things that got my attention the first time I saw it was the whole system for the pool, how the water is heated in those little shallow pools and then dumped into the pool. So he basically had solar heated pool in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's right. Which that's is exactly just crazy. Right. Yeah, he was always so so far ahead of his time. You know, he also had electric garage door openers. If you ever walk right. near his house or on his driveway, <laughs> you'll see these uh, interesting looking things in the concrete. And those were coils that sensed the uh, car coming through and then the garage door would open and then close when you went out. Uh, so, yeah. so many extraordinary things. Uh, even going back to 1939 in his second clinic, uh, it was basically a turnkey operation where the door lock was on a timer because patients were lining up to get into that clinic even before Gonstead got there and he felt sorry for them because they were out in the cold. So he rigged it so that the door would open up a uh, half hour or so before he got there so patients could come and sit in the waiting room so that when he walked in, the clinic was already full. And this was way ahead of his time. That's crazy. <laughs> so many things, you know, so many, many things. So here, yeah. here's something exciting about the legacy. For years, we felt that this place needs to be recognized by more than just us chiropractors, that this is an extraordinary building and it's an extraordinary legacy, you know, not just for us chiropractors, but for mankind. Uh, not only for the story that we know about the success he had, but because the preservation of the specific detection and adjusting of the subluxation is so important for the healthcare and well-being of mankind. We want this to be more well-known throughout the world. So one of the ways we knew we could do that is to get the place designated as a national historic site. Uh, there's a whole organization that does that, kind of semi-affiliated with the federal government. So we went to them. And they told us how to do it, which was an extraordinary difficult process. Uh, you have to take all kinds of pictures and get all kinds of documentation, uh, much more than we had ever had in the past. So several of us tried and gave up, you know, after the first couple of days or weeks because it was so intense, didn't have time for it. But a lady came and helped us. Uh, Linda Strom Skiles is her name, God bless her. Uh, she was the um, receptionist for Dr. Uh, Culp was one of the earliest associates mm. of Gonstead. And then he went to practice in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is about an hour and a half away from Mount Horeb. And she worked for him for many years and heard the Gonstead stories. So she caught the bug and, and, and feels the passion for this also. So uh, she volunteered to help us in a number of ways. And she's very good with this kind of thing. So we handed that over to her and she completed the task, took her many, many, many hours and weeks to do this and compile it and put it together the way that they wanted it. The the National Registry, they're very picky. So she turned it in and we got word that we were supposed to get that uh, early this year in April. But of course, because of the COVID-19 crisis, that's that's thrown out the window now. So we're, we're hearing that we're gonna get the official designation now as a National Historic Site sometime this fall. So that's a huge thing. That'd be awesome. Absolutely, it's deserved it for, for way too long. Absolutely. It's been way too long, we're way overdue for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, there's one other room I'd like to talk about, too, because I think it has great clinical application, especially for new students who are, or people coming out of school who have probably never seen anything like this, and they wonder what to do with these patients. It's those rooms. So, you know, the two hallways and the adjusting rooms are on one side of the hallway. And then there's those little rooms on the other side with the uh, not so comfortable beds. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about those rooms and how he used them and how and, and what they were for? Yeah, I call them resting rooms, and I think others do also. There's a number of them in a clinic. Let me see. Just off the top of my head, I can think of at least six. There might be eight total little resting rooms. And they're rooms that are about uh, maybe eight foot long and about six foot wide. And there's just a cot in there 
maybe a table to lay your things. You know, Gonstead would get such acute patients that were just in awful conditions, sometimes crawling in, sometimes coming in wheelchairs, limping, hobbling in, you know, people that came long distances to get there. And uh, because of the fact that many of these patients were from out of town, Gonstead had to get them better as quickly as he could. So he would see them oftentimes multiple times a day, two, three, four times a day we've got on record. So sometimes some of those people were so bad that he would maybe adjust them once in the morning and then he'd have them, he'd usher them over to one of those resting rooms and they would rest and relax as best they could. And then maybe get adjusted again, maybe about lunchtime, go back to the resting room, lay down and rest. Maybe again in the evening before they go back to their hotel, which was probably the Caracol Inn right nearby. So that's why he was using those resting rooms as far as I know is because these people were so acute and they were there for a short time and needed to get better as fast as possible. And uh, it was just a convenience thing. And uh, they're not used much anymore, but uh, they are there. And I think it's a lesson for all of us to see that uh, intensive type adjusting, I think, has its benefits. Uh, sometimes people will stretch it out. They'll adjust people once this week uh, and then say, come back next week. Um, I don't think that's always good at the time. I think some of these things you've got to be real intense on. That's where the argument always comes about is just how much did Gonstead see people? You know, there's some that say, oh, no, he didn't see people very much. He'd adjust them once or twice and monitor them with a nervous scope, and he saw a change and he would stop. Well, I, I know that's sometimes the case because I've met people like that. But then there's many other cases that we have, and we have the records too, patient records, where we can see he saw people multiple, multiple times over several weeks. Uh, Larry Troxell is a perfect example. He went there with a terrible disc problem, ruptured disc. And I think if my numbers are correct, he saw, Gonstead saw him a number, over 60 times in a matter of weeks to fix that disc and got it back to normal. So uh, that's a difficult argument to make is how many times you should see a patient. But for those of us who are, argue, those who are arguing that Gonstead didn't see people very much, I have proof that that's not true. Not true at all. He saw many people many, many, many times. Yeah, and so those resting rooms are the reason why, for me personally, when I opened my first office, I made the decision to have multiple adjusting rooms as opposed to having, say, a feeder room with one big adjusting room because what it allowed me to do is when I had somebody who was acute like that, if I needed to, I could put them in one of my adjusting rooms and use it like a resting room, and I could continue to pump on their disc and ice them and, and, and see them a bunch of times while still going back and forth to the other room to still see other patients. So my day didn't get screwed up, but I was able to take care for those people. And I had patients that they might be there for three or four hours, but in the course of that three or four hours, we'd go from they were carried in or came in in a wheelchair to they were able to walk out. And so I saw early on in my career that having that opportunity to do that makes a big difference. And it's not something I would have ever guessed if I didn't know the story of those rooms, what they were used for, how Gonstead used them and thought, well, if he needed it, I should tr give it a try. And it definitely worked. Yeah, that is one of the advantages to having multiple treatment rooms versus the feeder rooms. I had the same situation in my clinic where I would sometimes have people rest and uh, do multiple adjusting. That whole idea of resting after an adjustment is intriguing, not only because Gonstead did it, maybe as part of the reason for his success, but when you look back to the days of uh, strictly upper cervical chiropractic in, in BJ's time when he was all upper cervical and in the BJ clinic, that's another important factor to consider is they would always adjust somebody and immediately have them rest. In fact, they would have them rest in a brace that would go on their head to keep their head still as they were laying. That's how uh, uh, astute they were about having a patient rest after their adjustment. And sometimes doctors, the chiropractors ask, well, how come we're not getting the same results now as the old timers used to? Well, there's very good reasons, I think. For one thing, most chiropractors nowadays are not as specific. That's another reason to learn the Gonstead method. It's very specific compared to most other techniques. But there's also the resting factor. When you look at those old timers that got those great results, whether it was upper cervical or Dr. Gonstead, maybe some other early Gonstead practitioners, they'd have a lot of those patients rest after an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. And, si and since you bring it up, I think uh, a good thing to talk about too is the fact that um, the clinic right now, it is still operational. There are still doctors working there. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's, uh, so that people know what's happening with that and the fact that there are Gonstead doctors in the Gonstead clinic seeing patients? Yep, the Gonstead Clinic is still open every day, Monday through Saturday. Um, I think it's struggling just a little bit now as every other chiropractic office in the state because of the COVID-19. I'm sure the volume is down there a bit. I haven't checked recently, 
but so the clinic is going strong and it'll continue to do so. We've got a, an army of people that are dedicated to make sure it's going to keep going. And like I said, it's in the hands of a, a very secure nonprofit foundation now, the Gonstead Clinic. <clears throat> but currently we've got uh, a young energetic doctor, Dr. Michael O'Hara, who is the son of Denny O'Hara. Some of you may know him from the seminars. Wonderful man to learn from. Uh, excellent chiropractor. Uh, very generous and giving of his time and talents also. Somebody that I would highly recommend that you get into his presence because there's so much that can, you can learn from, especially with his palpation skills, Denny O'Hara. So yeah, his, his son, Michael O'Hara, is, is there doing very well. And then we still have Doug Cox there. He still sees a few of his old-time patients. Um, I think Doug now is in his mid to late 80s, um, and he's getting kind of tired. He's had some heart issues, but he still comes in. Uh, on a regular basis to see some of his old old time patients. He's not taking any new ones anymore, but uh, it's a wonderful inspiration to see somebody like that that still comes in and is still supportive of what's going on there. And boy, has he got the stories too. Yeah. Somebody just asked me recently if Ray Clinton is still working there. Is he still working there? Uh, no, he is not. He officially retired, yeah. I think, in uh, the end of last year. Okay. Yeah, it, That's why I wasn't sure. That's what I told him. I said, I didn't think he was anymore, but I didn't know for sure. So yeah, he too was there for many, many years, over 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. Um, I've kind of shot through my whole list of questions here though. You've done, you've done a great job of like giving us a, uh, a tour of the clinic without actually being there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an amazing place. And really we've talked a lot about the clinic side up on the, on the, on the top, but the, the basement, the fact that he had the foresight to build such a great facility. And I know the last extravaganza we did, we pretty much packed out that giant meeting room. Um, and yet it's, it's so large. Um, it's, it's, it's really amazing that we have the opportunity to have a clinic that can be a teaching center as well and that people come we come again from all over the world to come learn in the same place that he was seeing patients yes absolutely it's it's so convenient to have the seminar rooms right in the basement of the clinic uh so one of the best ways to visit the clinic is when there's a seminar there and you can find those on the gonstead.com website and the gonsteadmethodology.com website uh the biggest one at the clinic, it's always in April, it's called the Gunstead Extravaganza, but that's had to be put on hold, unfortunately, and they moved it. I forget the date that they moved it to. I think... Uh, oh, I just got a thing today. July 18th. Let me look it up real fast. I believe it's July 18th. July 18th. Yeah, that's a great time to visit the clinic. That's when the, the highest energy is going on with the seminar. Uh, but people, doctors can come at any time, just try to give us some advanced notice, and the, uh, the staff or one of the chiropractors will be happy to give you a tour. But... Uh, Going back to a couple of things I'd like to share with you, going back to the cash thing, I'll tell you something really that I find funny is uh, as we have talked to the staff that worked there in the past, and I think we've got some documentation on this, uh, you know, Gunstead was in such demand that the place was essentially full early in the morning and stayed full all day long. So sometimes patients had to wait for hours after their schedule appointment. And a couple of them got kind of wise about that. They figured out that if they'd slipped the staff a few dollars when they checked in, they could move themselves up in the queue. And this was <laughs> happening quite frequently because some of the staff said that they made a lot of money uh, from that, those bribes of patients who were moved up in the queue to see Gonstead. And one of the associates, I forget who it was, uh, that still comes to some of the seminars, he said he was talking to the staff and it sounded to him like they were making more money than he was working for Gonstead. Apparently, <laughs> 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 that went on for years, that bribery situation. Very interesting. Um, another thing that's very interesting is uh, we talked about uh, the Gonstead's uh, business dealings, you know, and one of the things that he did was that uh, he was planning to do anyway was to have another clinic with a convention center and a hotel down in the Cayman Islands of the Caribbean. And uh, this story fascinates me because I travel a lot and I've been there and it is a wonderful place to, to go and relax. And Gonstead's idea was that, you know, this would be kind of his winter headquarters, especially when he got older and he wanted to escape the, the Wisconsin weather in the winter, like most of us want to do, that he'd go down there and maybe still practice a bit and teach. And doctors could come down there and take seminars, stay in a hotel or even buy lots that he had subdivided uh, and build themselves a, a winter retreat of their own. So this thing got off the ground and it, it went to a point where they started to even sell lots and they had equipment brought in 
but then it all fell apart and it, and, and it never proceeded any farther from that point. But I think one of the most amazing uh, things about that whole story is that when Gonstead was doing that, uh, believe it or not, he was 72 years old. Can you imagine taking on a project like that when you're 72 years old or for anybody to do that, just to have the energy and the, the, the interest and the foresight? He, he was so forward thinking, like you said. You know, he was thinking expansion at all times. And related to that, uh, in the diggings through of these archives that we have, we have blueprints of the clinic, yes, and we have blueprints of his house, yes, but we discovered a blueprint that we couldn't make heads or tails of until we laid it up against the blueprints of the current clinic. And here it is at age 74, Gonstead was planning on essentially doubling the size of the Gonstead Clinic. Oh, my word. Yeah. <laughs> now, it never came to fruition, but he went so far as to have the blueprints drawn up. You know, we can see the additional treatment rooms, the extensional hallway. It was going to be added on back by where the garage is and then a little bit down the hill from there. And and probably more teaching space at the at the lower level, too. I forgot to look at that, or maybe I did and I just forgot about it. But here's a guy in his 70s that was just not winding down. You know, he was winding up. <laughs> I hope I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because for me, and I see this with students all the time, I love taking people to the clinic for the first time because while they're looking at the clinic, I look at them <laughs> because it's it reminds me of as a kid, the first time I went to Disneyland and I was just so awestruck by the immense size and magic of it all. And you see people get to the clinic and if they haven't seen it, it is so big and it just, it fills your entire view. In fact, that's one of the things that makes it difficult to take pictures of it is you can't get it in the frame because it's so big. Um yeah, that's and the fact that he was thinking about doubling that is just crazy. Yep, that is so true. Are you still there? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in regards to being so big, that is so true, so true. You know, for example, this newest book called Guns at the Adjuster, it's a whopping book. You know, it's big and it's heavy. And just before we got on the podcast, I dropped it and hit my toe. This is a book you don't drop on your toe. And, uh, you don't have a toe left. <laughs> I was working with Matthew Amon on the development of this book because I've, I've written some books myself and had some experience. And I was kind of sharing with him what I knew to guide him at least a little bit. And we kept trying to make the book smaller. And we couldn't. There's so many big things that you have to show in here. Just a picture of the clinic itself. So that, that's a perfect example of, of the legacy is so huge. Uh, I love giving tours there also, and I hope to do so in the future. And as I give the tour, always the question forms in everybody's mind. This is the question I get most often at the end. You know, everybody's jaw is dropping and they ask, how did he do all of this? And the answer is this. Gonstead accomplished all of this for one reason and one reason only. He got better results than anybody else. And how did he get better results? He was better at the specific detection and adjusting of the vertebral subluxation. So if you've got that through thick and thin, through crises like this COVID-19 thing, uh, through economic recessions and depressions that may happen again, I'm sure the crises aren't over. There'll be more. You can't go wrong with being highly skilled at this profession in chiropractic. So that's what I tell everybody. Just keep working at getting better. It always pays off. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a great note to end on because that is really the su summary of everything that Gonstead built was um, it built on results. Yeah. Um, so, mm -hmm. so thank you so much for joining us. I, I love listening to these stories. I can listen to them all day. Um, I, I've been I've been a chiropractor for twenty years as of this month, and I never get tired of it. And I never get tired of seeing the clinic and seeing what he did. So, thank you so much for coming and sharing that with us. You're welcome. And I uh, hope that uh, those of you listening will make an effort to come to the Gonset Clinic someday. Like I said, whether you're a student, a, a chiropractor, or even a lay person or a patient, you know, there's lots to see there that will inspire you and, and motivate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. I'd like to once again thank Dr. Potus for joining us today. I never get tired of hearing about the clinic or about the history of the Gonstead system, and Dr. Potus does such a great job of sharing it. If you're a student or a doctor and you've never been to the Gonstead Clinic, I want to invite you to the Gonstead Extravaganza, July 18th and 19th. The seminar will be held at the Gonstead Clinic, and we're expecting over 300 students and doctors in attendance. To find out more or to register, you can go to the Gonstead Clinical Studies Society's website at www.gonstead.com. 
In closing, I'd like to introduce you to a new salutation that one of my patients shared with me. He said that his new way of saying goodbye to people is to simply say, see you around campus. He said the reason for this is that at any moment in life, we are either the student or the teacher. So with that simple explanation, I'll see you around campus. Thank <laughs> you.